Hello, Katie Songer. How you doing? I'm good. How about you? Excited to have you on. Where are you talking to me at? Are you back in Alberta or where are you at? Yeah, I'm in uh, Sylvan Lake, Alberta today. We were just getting ready for uh, the Calgary Stampede Sears show this weekend. So I was down there for a bit this week and we'll be down there on the weekend. So, But you caught me at home today. Matt Watner, coming to you live on a Wednesday after today. I'm joined by, I mean, I don't know how you would describe yourself, Katie, but one of the influencers under the age of 35. How old, how old are you, Katie? Oh, I'm 38, but that was very flattering of you. Okay, one of the influencers under the age of 40, for sure. Personally know Katie from a few trips that I've taken up to Canada uh, with my boy, Curtis Reed. So, Katie, listen to this one. Curtis Reed got Ferris Simon to come out of retirement for his livestock podcast, and Ferris just left me out in the cold. And Curtis just left me out in the cold. That episode's going to be posting here in the next week or two on Livestock Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Check it out. Come on, guys. Why'd you leave me out in the cold? I guess my first one impression would be you've always had a very unique style. I just got off the phone with Curtis, actually, and a little bit underprepared because I know you, but I don't really know you. So uh, Curtis was basically no help at all, but he did say uh, <laughs> in terms of just uh, your talent, your magazine that you started extremely influential. I guess we'll start off this deal by just having you tell the audience just a little bit about your background and we'll see where it takes us, okay? Well, I would say, uh, I mean, first of all, I I grew up showing cattle and um, spent a lot of time in the junior scene. I probably started showing when I was about eight years old. I never thought that I would honestly uh, wind up in agriculture. We come from an area, um, Rocky Mountain House is where my my parents farm, but we come from an area where oil is pretty big um, and there wasn't a lot of purebred breeders around us. And so I loved showing cattle, but uh, I really thought my career trajectory would take a different course. I was really into uh, into the arts and junior high and that sort of thing, and uh, I took a year off when I was done uh, high school to decide what I wanted to do, and I ended up uh, heading off to Alberta College of Art and Design to take uh, a major in visual communications and a minor in illustrating. I, I really thought that I was going to head off into the ad world. Um, and work for ad agencies and that sort of thing. But I guess you're always drawn back to what you love, and I ended back uh, back in agriculture. I have been graphic designing and, and taking photos and uh, doing a little bit of video work for the uh, last probably 15 years. Um, I've had the opportunity to work for a lot of the major breed associations in Canada. I've worked for the Canadian Cattlemen's Association and the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. Um, a lot of really influential breeders that I've been sort of proud to represent um, so I've had um, I've had a really great career so far. I really would have a hard time describing myself as a, a photographer or a videographer, um, even though that's a lot of the work that I do. I think a photographer you can send out into any situation, be it a wedding, a war zone, whatever, and they always get the shot. And I like taking pictures of cows. <laughs> I'm not overly interested in taking pictures of people. You know, it's it's sort of the parts of uh, of the job that I love that I pick up on um, and I, I'm, I'm really a specialist as opposed to being a broad spectrum uh, photographer sure. or videographer. So that's sort of the background that I'm coming from there. Just tell me a little bit about your schooling. I guess you spent some time out in Toronto. Yeah, so I have, uh, I have about six years of formal training in graphic design, video, and uh, photography. Four years is the, the bachelor at what is now Alberta University of the Arts. And two years is a film production diploma at Toronto Film School, um, which was awesome. A lot of these um, 
career took me like well out of my comfort zone or a lot of the schooling took me well out of my comfort zone um, because I mean I was thrown in with uh, with students that had, I mean even their grandparents probably didn't farm they were so far removed um, you know one of my teachers was vegan for the Toronto Film School part uh, and so like I'm I'm sending in documentaries on uh, on agriculture things because that's what I'm passionate about um, and I think it was neat because I learned some things and then my instructors also learned some things. Um, and <laughs> at the end they were like, you know, I watched your documentary and I really want a steak now. Um, so I hope I made a little bit of a difference there. Uh, but, it, you know, it was, uh, I was learning things that I may not be able to apply in uh, agriculture. But the neat thing about formal education is it, uh, it led me to ask questions that I wouldn't have asked without it. So it gave me it gave me some tools that I could bring back to agriculture that uh, I wouldn't normally have had the chance to if I had just bought a computer, or just bought a camera, and went out there um, and started shooting. So for me, it was really invaluable to have some formal education, and I had access to instructors that were that were really amazing. Like some of them worked on Star Wars and um, you know big movies like that. Well, coming from this farm kid, that's pretty freaking amazing that you got to work with those people. Take a farm girl. I'm not trying to put you in a box here, but just like you are kind of a farm girl, <laughs> rural Alberta, and throwing her into Toronto. I, I did Toronto um, online. Oh, well, that makes me feel better that you didn't have to hang out with Rob Ford out there in Toronto. That was actually before the pandemic, but it worked out because uh, about six months in, that's when the pandemic happened and we all would have been sent home. So it just was, it was timely. Tell me about your magazine. The one thing Curtis wanted to know is, why did you choose to go a different route than to keep publishing the magazine? So the magazine that I that I did was called Top Stock, and we ran it for seven years. And it was really inspired by the showtimes and the show circuit, because I read those magazines as a kid, and I thought they were amazing. And I was like, we could do that in Canada. We don't have anything like that. Um, just to to celebrate the show industry because I love showing cattle and I love the people that show cattle. I was like, we we could do this. <laughs> it's on a different scale because our show industry is a little bit more compact in Canada. But it was a neat way to celebrate the show industry and advertise on behalf of some breeders. The reason that I ended up backing away from it, even though it was uh, it was amazing to connect me with breeders that I hadn't talked to and I kind of got to grow up the magazine with a generation of kids that, uh, you know, hung top stock banners on their walls and stuff like that. But the reason I backed away from it was really, really time constraints. I have uh, so many other projects that I want to work on, and I'm more of a starter than a maintainer. <laughs> and so I felt like the, the challenge was maybe going out of it. I would love for somebody else to start up a show ring magazine in Canada and sort of continue the, the tradition. I think it felt or filled a, a space that's probably needed. But I really wanted to work on the video side of things now that I, uh, I really just graduated uh, film school this spring and I wanted to work on the video side of things. And so I kind of went uh, with what feeds my soul, if you will. And so that sort of went to the video side of things. And I, I really want to still be able to tell the same stories as I did in the magazine, but a lot quicker than you can get things out in print. I don't know the answer, so you're going to have to dumb it down for me. Will you have a, a YouTube page or how will you mark, or just a, a website or how will you take shape in your eyes? Yeah, it won't be a, a magazine per se anymore and it won't celebrate exactly the same thing. Um, sure. But the reason... I wanted to go off in video. I think there's a need to tell agriculture's story to the urban public. If you have a good video camera and Facebook 
or Instagram. Um, oh, yeah. You can get the word out to a lot of people we we normally would never talk to, right? We'd never see them at a show or we'd never run into them in town. We'd never see them on our farm, right? So it invites those people back and we get to tell agriculture story and that's where I want to go with the video. That sounds pretty awesome. But, I mean, honestly, that's, yeah, I could go a million different directions with it, but uh, I'll be excited to yeah. see some of your work. It's also kind of selfishly, it's a great job because you spend your day you know, outside, filming things you love, talking to people you love. Um, and so it, it's a cool experience for me, too. Whenever you're a brilliant person, I'm definitely not trying to compare myself to you, but, like, I could just see always wanting new challenges. And, boy, what you described sure sounds like a new challenge that would be a lot of fun to pursue, for sure. As you were growing up, who your role models were or mentors and uh, just a few a brief story or two about that. I mean, obviously, it all starts with your uh, your parents, and they gave me a lot of freedom to show cattle and uh, a freedom to select the cattle I wanted. And I mean, they helped me get cattle to Denver when I was about seventeen or eighteen years old, which is every Canadian's dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's every Canadian's <laughs> dream, and uh, so they really enabled um, me showing cattle and getting to stay in cattle, and so. Uh, I've always had some really great cattlemen to watch in Canada, and I won't name names because I will forget somebody. <laughs> but um, I think I really learned the, the finer strokes of uh, judging cattle, probably just from going to Denver and, and watching. You know, people like Bob May or Eldon Krebs judge. The quality of the cattle was was pretty good all across the board, and so. It was the finer details that helped. When I take livestock photos, I mean, personally, I think you have to be trained in photography and also you have to be trained in cattle. You can't have one or the other. It just won't work. Uh, so being able to go back and watch those guys sort cattle uh, every year taught me a lot about what cattle should look like. It's been hugely helpful in uh, taking livestock photos. Your style of photography just... A still photo, everybody just says, hey, you get a side view profile picture of your steers, and you put it online, you sell it, an online sale. But, I mean, I guess just to help paint a picture here, your photography and some of the graphic design that you put out, it's truly unique. I mean, it's in kind of a singular way. Nobody else kind of has your style or flair in the way that you, you know, your graphic design and your photography. So I'll attach some of that within this podcast post and people can, if they're outside of Canada or not, not a Facebook friend, they can kind of see what we're talking about here. Pretty unique that uh, <laughs> there's 100, 200, 300 different photographers out there, but you, Katie Slaughter, kind of have your own personality and flair, unique to any other photographer out there in the world when it comes to uh, agriculture or livestock, I guess, personally, in my opinion. I really appreciate that. But how would you describe yourself, or if you uh, were to go back in uh, the past, what would you tell your 18-year-old self uh, standing here in 2022? Well, that is uh, that's a pretty good question. And, uh, you know, if I had to describe myself, it would be it would be sort of a lifelong student. Like, I always want to be learning, and I... Um, I'm really flattered that you think I have a unique style, but there's so many talented people in the industry. Um, and I scroll through their photos, and I'm like, that's an awesome photo. I wish I could do work like that. And I look back at work that I did, you know, last year even, and I'm like, oh, I should have changed this. I think the drive to get better is probably something that a lot of your list of illustrious podcast guests probably share. I feel like you're never really done learning. I'm never really done learning. Um, and that's is kind of 
uh, you know, what makes me unique and what makes sort of the high achievers on your list unique is that uh, no matter what they have achieved, they go on and they try and do something better next time, right? Whether it's breeding cattle or taking photos or, you know, whatever they're into, they they keep on going. So if I had to if I had to go back to my 18-year-old self, I would say the best way to make money doing what you're doing is to not care about the money. Whoa, that's profound and deep and true. I'll tell you a little story about how I got into designing. When I finished school, I had no job prospects. I applied at a couple uh, advertising agencies in Calgary, and one of them uh, was kind enough to give me an interview and a small agency that did big clients. They did uh, shelf trolling, and I don't know if you guys have or had much music in the States, but they did much music. And uh, so I applied there, and there were some other people from my graduating class that applied there, and they were, they were awesome. <laughs> they were they were better than me, Matt, by a long shot. My resume was complete fluff. It said I was the world's fourth best banjo player. <laughs> so um, I applied anyway, and they gave me the job. I was blown away, and I was like, why did you guys give me the job? And they said, well, we asked the rest of the people what they wanted for a wage. You were the only one that said, we don't care, or I don't care what you pay me. I just want the experience. Um, so that's why I got hired, and it still drives me today. I shouldn't admit this yeah. on the air either, but I almost don't care if I make money doing a job. I just want to put out awesome work. Because of that, you know, many people have hired me that I can't believe would call me, right? Like, I would be, I don't know if I could say this on the podcast, you know, I would be, like, shitting my pants if they called 23-year-old me. And um, I'm... I'm still so flattered, right, that they would call and I get to work for them. And I think it all comes back to that, just like, just wanting to do good work regardless of, of what you get paid. Just in my own podcasting art, quote-unquote, uh done about 200 episodes and haven't got paid a nickel for any of them. Uh, I do have a girl that's helped me now, Burke Holy, from West Virginia, and I just figure if, if people... Uh, People want to get their message out in front of these false sales and stuff. We'd love to have them on. I just want to concentrate on having real conversations, and I uh, usually can do it while I'm driving, so it's not like it's taking a bunch of time out of my personal or family life to uh, do it. And guess what? Right now, we're having a real conversation. So I guess we can uh, run the same, we're on the level, same level in terms of doesn't always have to be about the money in the long run. That stuff will work itself yeah. out. Yeah, a lot of good, good content and great folks just do it because they, because they love it, right? Good, good conversations come out of that. What is a common myth about your job or field of expertise? Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> so, and there's going to be, uh, you might get some flack. There might be people that call in to, that uh, that disagree, but I, I don't think that like just buying the gear, buying a computer or a camera or whatever makes you a graphic designer or a photographer. Um, we had a lot of training in the strategy that goes behind things. I know there's certain people that can they can pick up a computer or a camera and they're naturally talented. It's so helpful to get someone who's better than you or had more experience guide you through things. <laughs> and, and also to figure out why you're doing it. Like, there's a lot of emphasis on uh, on the final product, the final logo, or, or the final website, or, or the, um, you know, the final brand. But, but the why you're doing it 
is much more important than what it looks like at the end. It will change your entire audience. I run two companies, uh, one which is Topstock. Uh, we still run the photography and, and media under that. Uh, and then I run an entirely separate one for the urban companies that I represent because it's two different voices to talk to them and you need two different approaches and you can't do it under one umbrella. And it's, it's important to realize who you're talking to and what message would resonate with them um, in terms of branding before you even sit down and start sketching a logo. What's the name of your other company? Or do you like to keep that so, private? So, no, the other company is uh, is Five Gallon Creative. So you can find uh, you can find that website as well. And it's, I use it for a lot of uh, corporate stuff. This might be something you ask me to take out of the podcast later, but I mean. Working with and collaborating with a uh, more ag-based audience or client or working with or collaborating with a more urban-based audience uh, in the year 2022 in Canada is maybe a little bit weird or I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not asking you to be political or talk political, but there's been a lot of stuff going on up there. And uh, with the blockade and whatnot, this is probably a subject that maybe shouldn't be broached, but just at least going to ask you uh, what your thoughts are on all the, the craziness. Well, it has been totally crazy. I will give it that. I always think that, like, whatever time we're in, we, we figure it's the craziest time. But we've gone through some stuff in our time. Sure. And um, the the one thing I will say about the uh, – the blockades and, and working with urban people and, urban, and working with, you know, farmers at the same time is there's a lot of similar sentiments echoed on both sides. We just don't realize it because we just talk to each other, right? Like, for the most part, we talk to people in ag if we're in ag or the urbanites talk to each other, right? Um, and there's a lot of frustration on both sides and people are having some hard times. I think there are more similarities and differences and I, and I wish in politics we would kind of get together and hold politicians accountable for more each individual decision rather than perhaps picking picking a side. Like we should hold them all accountable all the time <laughs> to make good decisions for our country. What you said to lead off that was uh, we always think it's the worst right now or whatever. I agree that through through time and whatever, I'm sure that there's been other weird times and all this. This is really silly to say, but I'm kind of excited to be living through COVID and a stolen election and down here in the States in the winter of 2020. We're kind of living through a historical time period. I don't know if, if you think that's cool or not, but I, I kind of get a kick out of it because... Like, I know that it's a serious subject, and I'm not trying to, like, giggle about the seriousness of COVID or a, or a contested election, let's say, down here in the States. In 50 years, my grandkids are going to probably ask me, tell me about 2020, and I can say it with first-person knowledge rather than history book knowledge. Do you think that's weird, Katie Sonner? <laughs> she giggled at me. What? I think we're living through a historical time. I think it's... I mean, like you said, it's kind of cool. People will will flip through a history book later, and they will they will see the times that we're living in. We can take this time as things not going our way, or it being a hard time, or we can uh, we can rise to the challenge, and we can get more involved. We're gonna we're gonna kind of step out of the sludge of uh, possibly sticky subjects, and we'll uh, move on to something more conventional. 
I guess, do you have any thoughts on photo editing, video editing, effects on marketing in the cow business? So my my question for for you and a lot of other people is uh, is how many products they buy uh, photos that have been unedited? I'm going to say almost none. None. That's what I'm going to say. I rarely get a I think, Big Mac at McDonald's and it looks just like the pristine <laughs> picture on the uh, menu. So so my question is, do you drive back through the McDonald's and say, uh, my burger doesn't look like the burger on this picture? Or do you just well, eat it? Not, not me personally. I just eat it. But if we're going through Starbucks and that and that uh, sugary drink that my wife loves to drink, uh, iced chai tea with two pumps of sugar-free vanilla and uh, three, let's see here. I might have mixed that up. And soy milk instead of regular milk. Uh, if that thing don't taste right and look how she wants it, she'll circle back around for sure. Excuse my French, but these soccer mom bitches, they want their Starbucks just the right way. I understand that. I, I could probably get behind that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, she, she might be the one person who is the, uh, the outlier on this, but, you know, like I was flipping through a tractor brochure the other day, sent tractors, and it, you know, everything, and there's washed, and there's no mud on the tires, even out they're out in the field, and um, everything's shiny, right? You go buy a truck, same thing. Mm-hmm. You go buy a Big Mac, same thing. I was on a food photo shoot when I worked at the ad agency, and I, I actually did uh, edit human models there. I got a little background on uh, photo editing there. I was at a photo shoot where they were rearranging the macaroni on the plate for the picture with uh, toothpicks and, ar- and painting it with white glue to make it shiny, and... <laughs> You know, nobody gets the... Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot that goes into photo shoots in other industries. You know, agriculture thing is the one thing, cattle specifically, where we expect the photo won't be the best possible version of that animal. Like everywhere else we go, we buy things off photos and we don't think twice how pristine they look. But we do in cattle, right? (laughs) We're like, well, you know, she's got a little more hair on her tail head than, you know. But I mean, I I understand that editing can go too far, but a lot of the editing we do gets uh, gets cattle to behave in ways that they not typically would in the picture pen. Yeah, you're probably holding your photographer or the person you're buying said animal off of to a fairly much higher standard than you would be if you were buying that macaroni that's been glued into place and spritzed to glow and glisten. We have uh, expectations of cattle photography and videography that we don't have for any other industry. Um, And so, you know, I think there's a balance. You don't want to misrepresent, but you want to represent cattle in their best possible light. Tell me about the Calgary Stampede. Uh, do you have any fun stories from that show, or uh, where do you see the that deal in the future? I mean, it's, is it closed to Canada now? I don't think people from the States can come up anymore, is it? Nope, they can still, well, they can come up again. It was closed. Um, it might have even been closed last year if you didn't have a, a vaccine passport, but we're all open for business again. Uh, you can get up and see. But I, I do think the pandemic will have hurt attendance somewhat there. Sure. Um, but, I mean, I was uh, I was down at the grounds yesterday, and it was it was full. And uh, I don't know what this podcast will run, but we're planning the steer show for this weekend. And, um, the, I mean, the club calf scene in, in Canada is a lot different than 
the club draft scene in America. There's just less, there's less dollars rolling around, so there's a little bit less heat. Um, but there, you know, there's still some good steers that come. Uh, we're really excited to have Ryan Rash come up and judge. We we typically do get um, an American to come judge, just because it's somebody out of the uh, the political scene and. Uh, I think the kids learn a lot. It's valuable to have somebody like Ryan come up and, and give reasons and have the kids listen to him because, you know, the more accurate we can get the comments on the cattle, the more those kids will take home. For people that have never been to Alberta before, uh, or Calgary for that matter, it's the most beautiful city in the world. Like, uh, it's kind of similar to Denver in terms of scale, just, but, uh, it's, the stockyards are kind of downtown. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're right in the in the really the center. So if you're not showing cattle, it's pretty easy to get into. If you're showing cattle, that might be another uh, another yeah. thing entirely. But uh, so I'm I'm the youth livestock chair for uh, the steer show and international youth livestock there. Um, and it, if any Americans want to come up, we'd love to host you. I mean, I would say it's on my Mount Rushmore in terms of just top five or six shows after you go to Louisville or Denver or Kansas City. Definitely need to uh, hook up at the Calgary Stampede. It's just, I'm glad that I was fortunate enough to come for, I think, two years. The differences in the the perfect female in Canada compared to what you think might be a more uh, perfect female in uh the states, in your humble opinion. Oh well, I think uh, honestly, I think structure should be the same everywhere. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, it's a little bit about your particular environment as to what add-ons you want to put after that. Um, you know, we don't need ours just quite as tight-necked or skinny-necked. I think there's a lot of mistaking too much front end for uh, for massiveness for for muscle. Um, so I think we do need to be careful there. You know, for lack of a better word, we just want them a little bit stouter up here than um, than you probably do up down there, and and we probably give away a little bit of side profile on that. Um, sure. But it's just, uh, I mean, really, I think I think a good female is a good female anywhere. No, I wanna I wanna thank you for having me on, and uh, hopefully we didn't get too controversial with the photo thing. But uh, it's oh, yeah. been a place. My favorite part of the interview was your amazing Canadian accent, even though you probably have one that's a little less distinct than some other Canadians. It's just a little, still just a little bit there, Katie. <laughs> I don't, I don't even notice it until you guys bring it up. So, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Best of luck in the future. Can't wait to see what the future brings. And uh, the businesses that you mentioned earlier, they're both on Facebook. If people want to. Reach out and give them a follow, correct? Yeah, they're both on Facebook. We both have uh, two different websites. If you want to go to toughstockmedia.ca, you'll find us. Um, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say they don't get us updated as often as I should because I'm always working on everybody else's projects. But for sure, give us a visit. Um, and my number's on there if anybody ever wants to give me a call, too. Katie Songer, 587 one of the outstanding and unique marketing minds in the entire North America. I'd put you right up there against Rachel Williams Coutre of Texas. You kind of own the Canadian market. Rachel kind of owns the uh, American market. So that's a pretty flattering company. She's kind of a star. I made you blush twice in one interview.
<laughs> Appreciate your time very much, Katie, and we'll be in touch. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for the chat, Matt. Thank you, ma'am. We'll see you. Bye. Bye.